Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It's a podcast that I record throughout the week and then I put it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the voice of Asheville, broadcasting to the world. Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters with another great show for you. This week I have a really nice interview with one of my favorite people in this city. That's Kara Irani from Mana Food Bank. Anybody from Western North Carolina knows that Mana Food Bank does a lot to help mitigate hunger in our part of the country. And uh, I'm always happy to talk to Kara about what MANA is doing. But today we also talked about hunger in general and how we might try to mitigate that as a society and a global community. Uh, And Kara says there is hope. So don't lose hope, everybody. There's hope for us yet. So stick around for that. But before we get to any of that, I took another little trip. My my wife and I, Don, took another trip out to one of the small towns around Asheville, and we headed out to Silva, North Carolina. And we were actually out near Cullowee, uh, visiting some friends who rented a cabin up there, and we had a great time hanging out in the cabin. The, that area, Cullowee, Silva area, is just beautiful, of course. There's no part of Western North Carolina that I've seen that I don't think is just gorgeous. So come take a look for yourselves one day, folks, if you're listening to this and you're not from around here. Um, So we were out in Silva and uh, and on our way home from visiting our friends, we decided to stop in Silva and have a bite to eat. And the first thing we did, we I just bumped the mic. Sorry about that. Um, The first thing we did was look up online some suggestions of where to eat. And we found a nice little place that served some cocktails and had a little bit of food on the menu. And we thought we'd go try that. But when we showed up, they carted us, which is, you know, common. It's a there was a cocktail lounge with food, I would say. And uh, I don't carry an ID. Yeah, sorry, the world, that's something about me. I I don't drink and I don't drive. I don't do either of those things. And the reason I don't drive has nothing to do with drinking per se. When Let me just tell you real quick, I when I when it came time for me to get my driver's license, I was already heavily drinking as a teenager, and I made a weird teenage decision to keep drinking instead of getting a driver's license. And then I just never had a driver's license. I just never learned how to drive a car. I did take driver's ed. I did learn how to drive a car, but um, I don't I don't have any interest at this point in my life in driving a car. It just doesn't interest me at all. I know I'm weird. I'm a total outlier. I made a bizarre decision based on my teenage alcoholism. And so you could say that it's related, that the fact that I don't drive is related to the fact that I used to drink a lot, but it's not because I ever got a Dewey is my point. I've never been pulled over for drunk driving because I've never driven down the road in a car ever. I've driven around a parking lot, y'all. So anyways, that's some background why I don't carry an ID on me. I I I have a passport. I just don't carry it everywhere. Anyway, so we get there and they are like, sorry, no admittance without an ID. 
and I say, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm willing to split, but Don wants to be there. So I say, well, I'm not going to drink. And they said, it doesn't matter. And if they had said to me, and again, I was willing to leave, but Don wanted to kind of suss out if we could kind of sneak sneak on in, see if they were cool, basically, because I really was not going to drink. And I look old, like I have a long gray beard and wrinkles on my face. I am not a, a young looking person that you're like, oh, is this guy 21? You're like, oh, is this guy 50? And I'm actually 57. So yeah, I don't look old. I mean, I do look old, <laughs> old enough to drink, but I wasn't even going to drink. But anyways, I'm ready to leave. Don wanted to figure it out. The guy says, and then he said the wrong thing. He said, it's state law. You can't come into a bar without an ID. And I had a feeling that wasn't true. And I have looked it up in the meantime, and it's not true. There's no age requirement to go into any establishment that sells alcohol, no state required age requirement, I suppose the house can set their own rules, which I'm happy to comply with. Just say their house rules. And I'll be like, okay. But as soon as this guy at the door started to try to tell me about state law and man, I, I knew he was wrong in, in my heart. I knew he was wrong. And so I, that irritated me to no end. And I just, I felt like being like, what are you a lawyer? You know, but I just said, no problem. And we left. And But we were, Don and I were highly irritated. I should also mention it was very hot out that day, which was also already, we were irritated with that. But, uh, and then on the way out the door, one of the patrons had to chime up. <laughs> and I was like, and they were like, it's actually a federal law that you have to have an ID if you're going to drink. And I was like, I'm not, I wasn't going to drink. And Thanks for the advice. I just said something kind of like short and sharp and got away because I was then I was highly irritated. I'm like, what, a lawyer's hang out at this bar? A bunch of you, you're like a federal lawyer of some kind. You know the law. And it's absolutely not. I mean, it's a perhaps a federal law that you have to have an ID while you're drinking like that. Sure, they could have been right about that, but. That's I had already clearly said to the guy I wasn't drinking. The guy had said it was a state law to come in the bar. So that's not even what we were talking about. And besides, nobody was talking to you. Absolutely zero people in the room were talking to that person when they decided to chime up and tell me and Don a little on, on our way out. We'd already like given up on going in, but they had to, you know, just display that they knew something about federal law around alcohol. I'm not sure exactly what their motivation was, I suppose, just to educate us a little bit on the way out the door. And they are lucky they didn't get full, four full-on Chicago-style middle fingers right in their face because, yeah, that's how Don and I felt. But we grumped our way on down the sidewalk, and we got ourselves into a better mood, and we hunted up a place on Google on the way down the sidewalk, and we found a place called Lulu's. And let me change the tone of this whole review of Silva right now. And I don't want to cast Silva in a bad light. It's just these two people. It's these two people. You know, that's it. Silva is a lovely little town. Uh, it was beautiful and charming in the downtown. And other people that we, all the other people we ran into in Silva were awesome. And so I'm not griping about Silva at all. And we found a place called Lulu's on Main. And I'm sure if you're from that area, you're familiar with Lulu's because it seems like a neighborhood favorite. 
Uh, and it was a very casual atmosphere, an old building with a really high ceiling, open, spacious, lots of tables for various size groups. I think there were some booths against one wall and there was some outdoor seating, which we didn't go to because it was very hot outside. And Don and I had a wonderful meal at Lulu's on Main. I recommend it for anybody that's out in the Silva, Kaloe area out there. Um, and it's it, well, first of all, I'll say the menu is very eclectic. So there's like a little Mediterranean, a little Italian, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and a little Thai food on the menu. And when you see that, your first thought is, Rutro, uh, none of this is going to be good. Who, there's nobody who's an expert at all of this, or very few people. But I have to say, the food that we ordered was excellent, and we had an excellent meal, and I recommend Lulu's very much. And I ordered off of the specials menu. I got a nice big old steak. I've been staking it up a lot lately. And uh, it was real good. I forget what cut it was. This was a couple of weeks ago or a week or so ago. And uh, But it was on some nice mashed taters with uh, horseradish sauce on top. And that makes it like super old school, in my opinion. And I've already mentioned a couple of times that I am old. So I do like old school things. And this horseradish sauce was just great. And um and then there was some collard greens, and the collards were really, really good, too. They were kind of sweet, plenty of pork product in there for me. And the whole thing was delicious, and I crushed all but like a tablespoon of those collards. I, I'm sorry, collard greens, but if there's if there's anything that's going to get left behind on the plate when it comes to steak, taters, or collard greens, it's going to be you, no matter how tasty you are. So my meal was fantastic, but more importantly, how was Don's meal? How did she enjoy it? Because Don was actually more annoyed with the two folks at the bar than I was. So I had to try to calm down the whole situation. And uh, her food was great. She ordered the mussels off of the sort of appetizer part or the tapas part of the menu. And that came with a big, and, and she got a salad. And the mussels came with a, like a half like a small sized baguette, like a whole baguette, but it was small, uh, but it was still big. It was like basically a loaf of bread and she loved it straight up. She kept saying how good it was. The mussels were in a, like a butter garlic wine sauce, like a pretty typical sauce for mussels, but she said it was great. And she can remarked more than once how tasty the bread was. And we didn't inquire as to where the bread came from, but she said two or three times that this bread is really good. And she ate the whole dang little loaf of bread, which is not very typical for Dawn, who does. She probably ate more bread with that meal than she had in the previous, like, two months or more. She's not typically a bread eater. But she loved it. The salad was a little bit, like, average. Nothing really to write home about, but it was fine. And um, But the whole meal. The whole experience was great. Our server was, was seemed slightly inexperienced, but but was still great. And the atmosphere was nice. The music was good. I think we remarked to each other that the music was okay. And some like if it was bad, I'd be telling you that probably because when Don and I are together, especially if we're both a little bit irritated or irritable and there's bad music, I'm likely to remember that. And bad music to us in a restaurant is like top 40 hits from the, 50 from the well the 50s probably too but 50s 60s 70s 80s and 90s let's top top 40 hits uh we don't want to hear them in a restaurant like play something a little more creative is the way we feel i know everybody feels differently 
about music. It's one of those things. And I do admit that I personally have terrible taste in music, and my friends will confirm that for you. All right, folks. So that was our trip out to Silva and our continuing effort to visit all the smaller towns around Asheville. Most of them have a great restaurant. Some of them have many great restaurants. And we found a real good one with Lulu's on Main in Silva, North Carolina. So please go see them. And now let's get on with the rest of the show. Hey, everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters, and I have one of my regular, recurring, and favorite guests. I have Kara Irani from Mana Food Bank, one of the most important nonprofits in our area. Hey, Kara, how are you doing today? Hey, Stu, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Good. And, and before the show, the listeners can't see this, but I complimented you on your eye makeup. <laughs> yes. And yes. you told me you put it on like a psychopath. That's right. Yeah. A friend <laughs> of mine, yeah, has this theory that people who can freehand eyeliner like this are psychopaths. And yeah, yeah so, you know, well, it takes all looks, types, I guess. <laughs> looks great. I understand the precision involved with eye makeup. You don't want to. Yes. Poke yourself in the eye with an eyeliner pencil for sure. Not a, <laughs> not a happy start to any day. Um, so anyways, eye makeup aside, let's mm -hmm. talk about MANA and uh, what you guys are doing specifically in the Western North Carolina area to yeah. alleviate hunger in our area. We're Strangely, we're a hunger hotspot. And I say strangely because the people are listening to this show know that I eat food constantly and we're kind of a food basket in a lot of ways in this area. So it's strange to me that there's such pernicious hunger, but let's talk about what man is doing in particular. And then let's talk about hunger in general terms and why it even exists in this world of bounty. Yeah. I, so what you got going on? I love on? having this conversation. First of all, I have this conversation all the time. So just to frame it out, Mana Food Bank, for folks who are not super familiar with us, um, we are the food bank serving the 16 Western North Carolina counties, including the Koala Boundary. So basically everything from Buncombe County, you know, north up to Avery, uh, south down to Polk, and then all the way west to the Tennessee border. Um, that region around, you know, 6,400 square miles is mountainous rural terrain. We are probably 75% rural territory. Um, and that by itself presents some challenges for folks accessing food in the first place. Um, but really, the biggest challenge that we've seen, and we're now celebrating 40 years of our organization's history um, of thousands of people coming together to like, you know, make food happen for people. Um, but unfortunately, we have hit a very disturbing milestone. Um, as of May 2023, uh, we served in a single month over 155,000 people. Um, th those are absolutely staggering numbers for our region. Um, to just to give folks an idea, before the pandemic, hunger was already very much an issue in Western North Carolina. One in six people were at risk, and one in four children experienced food insecurity at some point throughout the year in our area. Very high. Um, at that time, we were serving around 65,000 people a month. So for us to now be regularly serving over 150,000 people is absolutely 
it's staggering. It's really staggering. Um, and there are many things that we've been, you know, watching. And there are a lot of things that we're hearing from folks about why they need emergency food relief right now. Um, and, you know, I think it's stuff that we all get and understand and probably are navigating in our day-to-day lives. But it, you know, for a lot of folks, a lot of these things are just not meeting at the end of the month. The, the monthly budget is not meeting up. Uh, there's a lot of challenges here. So, um, and I'm sure, you know, your folks know the hospitality industry is a tough industry to hack it in, in the mountains here. Uh, cost of living is very high. And so we've seen cost of living, especially in rent prices go up a lot in the last couple of years. The pandemic really exacerbated a lot of that. And then on top of that, high food costs. I mean, just in the last two years, food has gone up 20%. That's really astounding. That's the highest increase in food costs we've seen in generations. Um, And so these cost of living pieces are far outpacing what people are making in terms of of a living wage. And the wage in Western North Carolina is already below state and federal averages but our cost of living is much higher. And so it's a pretty simple math equation at the end of the day to know that, you know, a a single mom who's got two kids and half of her salary is already just going to childcare. There's not much left at the end of the day. Um, Recently, a few things have happened uh, that we've seen the the growth in the numbers of people coming to us specifically uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, the federal government expanded the SNAP program. So that's food stamps. And everyone was essentially getting the maximum amount of food benefits of grocery money that they were eligible for with their household sizes. Mm -hmm. And so that actually helped a lot of folks like senior citizens who are often in a single person household and, uh, you know, you're your income determines how much support you actually get every month from this program. And so folks were getting the maximum amount that they could get because of the pandemic. Well, that lapsed in March and it happened right at the time when food prices were at its peak. Um, Everything, inflation still really impacting folks. Um, And when those benefits went away, we did see an astronomical growth in the number of folks coming to us. Um, So that just really speaks to the importance of that program. Um, SNAP is the number one food relief program in the country. It works. It's got the lowest rates of fraud. I I don't even know if you can call it fraud because the money can only be used for food in Mm -hmm. grocery stores and retail outlets. But it's, it's a really, really that's a big struggle for us because especially across the mountains, folks are not interested in signing up for SNAP, even if they are eligible for support. And that just puts a lot of pressure on folks. Um, You know, there's a, we, we love to talk about this around manna because we are exposed to it so much, but there's a real mountain pride in the people who live here and, you know, a a pride in being able to be self-sufficient and resilient and, you know, make ends meet for yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think that that does prevent people from reaching out for the help that is available for them in those very moments when they need it the most. So that stigma is something that we continue to really work on because we know how vital it is for the 155,000 people who just came to a pantry or a market and got food in hand. Mm-hmm. So that's not even counting all the folks calling our food helpline. Uh, so it's, it's yeah, we're seeing the need just explode right now. And uh, we're not really sure where the end of the tunnel is. 
Okay. Uh, we were hoping that once the pandemic started to fall back into normal zone, whatever that means now, uh, that we would see some shift and some release and some relief, but we are not. Okay. March was a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a snap is a federal program. So that's up to the federal government to make that stuff happen. I know there's a lot of gridlock in Washington with the house in the hands of the Republicans and the white house in the hands of the Democrats. So I don't know. Do you know why there is mm. not just an immediate renewal of this program? Do you know what the holdup is on that? Or if there's plans to bring it back to the way it was, yeah. or this is the way it is now with snap. Well, the federal emergency declaration that was um, announced in 2020 with the pandemic is what gave the USDA the leeway to expand SNAP during a time when Congress didn't have to vote on it. They, okay. they voted on the relief package. Um, and so that federal declaration, that emergency declaration, that lapsing is actually what is now shifting all of this stuff back. Okay. Um, I will say that, um, you know, I know folks are very active and engaged in in issues in our area. And I just want to let people know that we do work directly with our state senators and our congressman who is representing Western North Carolina. And they want to hear from us. They want to hear what people are experiencing. Um, we just in May had the opportunity to go to DC uh, we took someone with us who is a neighbor facing hunger. She lives in Canton. Uh, she's a grandmother raising grandchildren. And we got a, an opportunity to talk to Congressman Edwards directly uh, about what it is that people are facing. Um, and I will say the, the politics and the sound bites are, are, are there. And that's a lot of how, you know, these folks kind of operate in general. But I do see a lot of common ground for areas of agreement on when it comes to literally just helping support our neighbors. Um, I do know that Congressman Edwards specifically is very interested in supporting seniors. And that's one of the groups that we've seen struggle the most in recent years. So we continue to work very diligently on informing our representatives of what the situation is here, but we can always use more voices. Um, sure. And so if anyone is interested, we do have an advocacy call to action email list that you can sign up for. Anytime that there's proposed legislation, anytime that there is an issue that we think that our Congress people should know about and our representatives should know about, we will send an email out and ask folks to contact them directly. Okay. And they can sign up for that at manafoodbank.org. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, our representative here is Chuck Edwards, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, Chuck's a Republican, and Chuck and I are going to disagree on a lot of stuff, but one thing I noticed about him is that he does actually seem to care about his constituents. Um, I, I think he does. And unlike I will, the last let me just, guy. Well, yeah, so there's a lot. Madison Cawthorn. Yeah, there's a lot of proof in the pudding of just, like, having people in office that respond to emails and are like present, you know, Hawthorne was non-responsive to, yeah. he was absent. He was, he was trying to become MIA. a movie star. Yeah. yeah. Chuck Edwards, at least he seems to be here for us. He seems sure. to be doing the casework yeah. and, uh, 
And I hope, and, and he's been receptive to Mana Food Bank. Yeah, absolutely. We've had um, his staff come and visit us. They help refer people to our food helpline if they come across constituents that have a variety of challenges. Um, they are open to us sending folks their way that we talk to who might have, you know, a hang up in one of the government agencies like the Social Security office or things sure. like that. Um, so, you know, especially, and I just want to say this, Mana is a nonpartisan organization. We are not religiously affiliated. We are not um, affiliated with any political party. We are, we work with everybody. We work with everybody because hunger is such a broad and far reaching issue. It affects everyone. Um, And so we really have seen, um, it's been a nice shift to see from the last person that was representing us in the house, in the federal house to now um, with Congressman Edwards, you know, his staff is very dialed in. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. I yeah. I was happy to see the last guy go for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but mainly because he seemed to not give one iota of a of a care about yeah. our uh, our part of the state, mm-hmm. uh, which he grew up in. Oh, anyways, let's move on um, to <laughs> let's. You know, I think I identified some of the reasons why hunger is pernicious, especially in this mm-hmm. area. And am I correct in um, thinking that? getting the food to the people is a big problem because of the mountain roads, because of the isolated nature of some of the communities here. And because of, uh, I'm going to maybe guess that big box grocery stores have made it. So there's not a lot of small mom and pop grocery stores. So a lot of people might be literally have no place to buy groceries except for the gas station Mm -hmm. around here. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, what we used to call food deserts mm-hmm. um, is is definitely an issue in our area. And what we see, especially in those areas, is that there's a lot of um, difficulty in people accessing fresh, nutritious food. Right. Uh, and so that's really what contributes even further to some of these problems. Um, there's a very, very clear link between food insecurity and having to compromise your food choices and chronic health issues. Oh, yeah. And it's just this cyclical thing. And so, yeah, there are some counties in our area that have one grocery store in the entire county. Um, Transportation absolutely is a challenge. Um, We um, have data from the um, WNC Healthy Impact Network. And basically 30% of people are without some form of reliable transportation across Western North Carolina, which is pretty high. Mm -hmm. And the folks that we are serving are probably, it's probably far higher with those folks. Um, And so that's a lot of why, you know, we have focused recently in recent years um, with our mobile markets program, Mm -hmm. getting food to people is very, very important for us. And we've identified some of these areas that, you know, maybe we don't have a brick and mortar partner agency who is doing regular food distributions there. And so we work with that local community to set up markets that the the community can depend on just regular Mm -hmm. monthly markets. And it, it's a it's a big lift. It really is. But that is really why we're here is to remove every obstacle we possibly can to getting food to people. That's great. And uh, there are gas stations all over the country. Everywhere you go, you get you can buy gas. All right. This is just kind of out of the blue question. But <laughs> are the big gas stations willing to 
have you guys bring fresh produce and healthy food to sell or to give away? At the- you know, we actually do partner with a few gas stations across That's the great. region. <laughs> That's great. Um, and it's just, you know, if they have enough space in their parking lot. So we have a few logistical things that we have to have, like a flat surface where we can unload the product. And, you know, especially if there's not a loading dock, things like that. Safe place for people to park and access everything. And so as long as there's that kind of of space for us to set up in and the the partner that we're working with is you know actively engaged in this process then definitely i mean we'll we'll set up wherever we do stuff at macon county fairgrounds uh we do stuff in gas stations church parking lots i mean you name it that's that's how we roll (laughs) yeah because out there and you know people who may not be from around here heard you say we need a flat surface uh, around here, a lot of the surfaces are angled, uh, a lot of hills and bumps and lumps. And it's it's not always easy to find a flat surface. But yeah. um, that's it sounds like to me, like you y'all are just getting better and better and better at getting the food to the people. But at the same time, there's increased need. So while you're you're taking care of people, there's seems to be no end in sight to the growth of hunger, not just in Western North Carolina, but all over the world. Um, Absolutely. What's up with that? Like, how come (laughs) we can't figure this out, Kara? Like, I'm a child of the 60s and 70s. -hmm. I was born in 66. Um, I I grew up watching classic Star Trek. I thought the world would be a much better place by now. I Mm -hmm. really did. Um, And what? What can we do? Is this hopeless? No, it really isn't. This is the thing that I love about doing this work is the solution is food and it is there. You know, it's really about how we set up our systems to support our neighbors. Um, and, And truly, if the political will was there to end hunger, Congress could end hunger with a, a, a stroke of a pen. Truly, you know, I mean, I've I've always thought that if you need food support, then that should just be a part, a normal part of being an American citizen that you can access this stuff. And hey, if you don't need it, then maybe you get a tax break. That'd be great. You know, let me opt out of my food benefits since I'm doing okay, and let that go back into the flow. Um, I do think that there is a solution to hunger and it really is uh, working with the established structures that are already there. Um, We are a member of the Feeding America Network. And so with that network, we are in partnership with 200 other food banks across the country. In that network, we have every single county in the entire country covered. So there is not a single county that is not served by a Feeding America food bank. This is the biggest disaster relief network in the country. We mobilize on everything. We mobilize on pandemics, environmental disasters, all kinds of stuff. And so we have the infrastructure and the network set up. What we did see in the pandemic is that food insecurity actually went down. There were fewer people who needed food or at least were facing hunger because they were being served by the Feeding American Network, the SNAP programs. All of these pieces were government 
support, public support that was aligned to help alleviate that need. And we actually did see food insecurity go down. We had universal school meals at schools for kids, and that literally alleviated child food insecurity. So really, uh, what the 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 change is one that needs to happen both culturally and emotionally as opposed to logistically you know what i mean i do I, so but we're i i will say that mana and the network that we work with all of the volunteers that we work with it is incredible what people come to do And I think that's because we all really have a shared mission of just being determined that no one is going to walk away from one of our partners without food. (laughs) I mean, that is our daily dedication. So it's possible to end and people want to end it. And that's why so many people work together every single day to make it happen. Um, That's terrific. I mean, the work that you guys are doing is just, you know, invaluable um it's laudable of course and it's very impressive to watch i mean it's you guys are just growing like crazy and mm-hmm. lots of people yeah. uh well I, there's, maybe a, I'm there's wrong. always conflict there you know it's like okay. we want this to get better okay yeah. <laughs> the irony of wanting to work yourself out of a job is not lost on any of us here <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah sure i mean that's the ultimate goal is that you we don't need food banks anymore because Mm -hmm. as a society government is coming together with food producers to make sure everybody has food um do you think that uh capitalism has gotten in the way of alleviating hunger just because if there's not a money incentive to feed people then um big capital isn't stepping up you know there have been times in our capitalistic history that this was not nearly the issue that it is now so i I really think that it's the people functioning in the system that make those decisions and over the years we have seen a lot of cuts to food stamps a lot of challenges to to snap in those nutrition programs Mm -hmm. we've seen a lot of pushback on you know educational pieces so i i think that there really is i i mean the irony is that Everybody we work with across the board, across the political spectrum, want people to be able to have food, Yeah, you know, but there's a lot of disagreement about what that looks like. And, um, you know, we recently, the big conversation right now is around the farm bill and the farm bill is what uh, funds SNAP, the food stamp piece, as well Mm -hmm. as support for local farmers, big ag stuff. But the majority of the funds that get aligned through that bill are for SNAP, for feeding people. And right now there's conversations about wanting to change the the age limits of of how you can be eligible and, you know, there's how to limit it. You know, the work requirements were put in a while ago, and that really, really puts a lot of pressure on people uh, who are already struggling. Um, And again, this is meant to be a supplement. That's what SNAP stands for is Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. So forcing people to prove eligibility over and over again for a program that doesn't actually cover all of their grocery bills it just kind of helps a little bit is really onerous it's really onerous so those are the kind of things that we're trying to break down barriers around is you know providing a a really firsthand look at why people need the support Mm 
right. you know. So that's why we need everybody's voices um, across the board. It doesn't matter what political candidate you support. This is an issue that affects everybody. It affects all of us, whether or not we are currently struggling to afford food or not. Um, and it is, we are a system set up to make sure that even in someone's darkest moment, because we have no idea what's going to happen in our lives, you know, from day to day, even in someone's hardest moment, this is a network that is here to support people. And that's what SNAP should be too. It should be that emergency, but temporary relief that people need to be able to traverse a really critical situation and still be able to eat. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, with organizations like MANA and the others that you partner with and the help of government, so NGOs and government organizations working mm -hmm. together, that this problem is solvable. And to me, it sounds like one of the major issues is the political will in Congress to pass the bills and make it easy for people to access food when they need it. So mm -hmm. I think it's important to press our political candidates on the issue of hunger and see if they have opinions already and if they have plans in place. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you're working with Chuck and the other uh, Congress people that represent us. And I hope nationwide that people will be reaching out to their Congress people to talk to them about hunger in Absolutely. the United States. Absolutely. It's uh it's an ongoing problem, and it just, my heart sank when I heard that the numbers were going up and not mm -hmm. down. But I'll tell you what, Kara, like talking to you, always uplifting, and um, you you did give me hope because you <laughs> talked about how the numbers did go down when we mm -hmm. did it correctly, and we loosened up those government pockets and, and spent the money in the right places, uh, you know, and, and the fact that snap has very little fraud and waste should appeal to everyone across yes. the political spectrum. There have been a lot of myths about that program over the years, and that's really what has prevented people both from accessing it and support supporting it when it, when it really needs that kind of attention. So yeah, yeah. that's what we're trying to work against is that stigma. Well, the next time you come out, maybe we can do some myth busting about Snap <laughs> and some other stuff. I'm ready. All right. Well, my, my yeah, get your gloves on. on. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, Kara, it's always awesome to talk to you. You're truly one of my favorite people Thank to you. have on the show and just to see around town and such. And the work you're doing is incredible. So thank you to you and to all of the people at MAN. I know it's a big team effort from the people who drive the dollies in the warehouse oh, yeah. to the people who make the calls to the potential donors. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. I love being on your show and talking to you and hanging out and talking food in any way, shape or form. <laughs> Have you eaten anything particularly awesome lately, Kara? Oh, well, I have to say... I mean, I've got my staples in Asheville, you know, my standards. Last night was a Zen sushi night, which was wonderful. Gotta that's love my it on a Sunday sushi. night. That, that's best. my favorite sushi place. It's, it's so under the radar. People don't talk it about really it. It really is. My yeah. friend and I were literally talking about that last night. Yeah. But I just got back from being in New York City a couple of weeks ago. And so I had some Thai that was pretty mind-blowing. Thai yeah. diner. Go yeah. go check it out the next time you're over there. Thai diner, New York Thai City. Thai diner. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when we go to New York, we hit up a lot of Asian places. Yes, Chinatown is my jam. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right, Kara. Well, keep eating good stuff and let me know about it. And keep uh, keep doing the good work to make sure other people are eating good stuff too. We're doing it. Thank All you right. so much, Stu. You're awesome. Have You're a great day. Awesome. You too. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right, y'all, I'm back, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kara from Mana Food Bank. She's an awesome person doing awesome things, and I hope y'all will support Mana. You can go to manafoodbank.org to show your support for them. And now I want to give you a review of an amazing breakfast sandwich or an awesome breakfast sandwich I had the other day. And I had this at The Rue, which is the bakery owned by James Beard-nominated chef John Fleer there on South Lexington Avenue in downtown Asheville. And I go there a lot, and I know I talk about it a lot, but they've got a brand-new sandwich on the menu, and it is called the Dirty South. And it's a breakfast sandwich. And it's made with pulled pork, collard greens, and pimento cheese on a delicious biscuit. And for my money, they make the best biscuits in downtown right there at the Rue, maybe in Western North Carolina. One day, folks will have to do a uh, like a biscuit throwdown and see who really does have the best biscuit in Western North Carolina. But in the meantime, let's talk about this Dirty South sandwich. For one thing, it was delicious, and I'll get to that in a minute. But let's talk about the expression, the dirty South. And uh, I was not sure what that meant. Uh, you know, people, I'm, I'm from up north. Um, I think I've mentioned that about a gajillion times. And uh, I wasn't sure what that expression meant when I got down here to the South. And you all know there used to be. And yes, I have been. I've been here long enough that my friends from the South gave me permission to say y'all. And if I sound sometimes like I'm not from up north and i'm not from anywhere that's because i've lived on the east coast and up in chicago and now down here in the south for big chunks of time in each place so my accent is weird and non-existent at times and all over the place at other times but let's keep moving forward with this review uh so the dirty south i wasn't sure what that expression mean and in fact i wasn't sure that it wasn't derogatory okay so i looked it up and i i i I'm still not sure <laughs> what to think of this expression, but it seems like it's a term of endearment. And I actually I went to uh to the uh, Virginia Museum of Fine Arts webpage. Well, actually, I just did a Google search. What does the Dirty South mean? And the first answer came from the VMFA, Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. And on their page about it, it says, and I'm going to read this. It says, "Dirty South" in quotes is an expression that endearingly refers to the southern part of the United States from Virginia to Florida, Texas, and the states in between, whose Black traditions and artistic expressions have shaped the culture of the region and the nation. The term describes an identity born out of the southern landscape and its agriculture, as well as its diverse mix of races, ethnicities, practices, rituals, and beliefs. A flavorful amalgamation of African, European, Indigenous American, and Caribbean influences. The cultural, spiritual, and artistic practices passed down from enslaved Africans, in particular, figure prominently for their role in shaping regional and national identity and expression. 
end quote, from the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. And uh, sounds great. You know, that uh, they straight up say it's a term of endearment. I'm not sure if the VMFA is the most trustworthy source of whether things need to be uh, reconsidered. But let's just go with it, folks. Let's just say the expression dirty South is a term of endearment and we all love it. And you can let me know differently if you feel differently or you know differently. You can write to me at stuhelm, A-V-L, S-T-U-H-E-L-M-A-V-L at gmail.com and let me know what your thoughts are on this expression of the dirty South. But let's get back to the delicious sandwich I am reviewing right now. This is the world's longest review of a breakfast sandwich. So anyways, this thing's got some really, really beautiful pulled pork. And John Fleer is one of the most farm-to-table chefs in town. So I'm going to guess that this pork is from a local farm. It's all made in-house. It's super delicious. Very, very savory. Very delicious. But let's talk about these collards on this sandwich. They have a lot of juice, and I'm not sure if that's called liquor. Like, I'm not sure or not. Like, pot liquor, I think, is the juice from the collard greens. But, again, you can write to my email address, stuhelmavl at gmail.com, and let me know if I'm correct about that. But there was a lot of juice that sunk into the bottom piece of the biscuit. Like, the biscuit was cut, uh, you know, lengthwise in half to make a sandwich. Although this was not a pickup sandwich. It was too messy to pick up or too dirty, if you will. Um, and uh, the, the pulled pork, the collards, all that juice from the collard greens soaking into the bottom part of the bun. And then John's house-made pimento cheese, which is some of the best in town, all melting into everything on the top of the other bis- the other half of the biscuit on top. Big pieces of sea salt on top of that biscuit and pickles, like speared into the top, like some pickles, pickled pepper, like a, like a big, big pieces that if you ate them all together would kind of be a chow chow. And man, it was good. It was really, really good. It was huge. And I didn't think I was going to be able to eat it, but I crushed it. Like I just crushed it, man. And it was fantastic. So to me, it's one of the most sort of Southern tasting bites. And again, take this from a person who spent most of his life growing up in Boston and living in Chicago. But I've been here in Asheville now 18 years. And uh, I know that's not a lifetime, but it's long enough that I have fallen in love with Southern food, of course. And I think I know good stuff when I taste it. And so this sandwich is real good. I recommend it to everybody out there. When you go into the Rue, of course, tell them Stu sent you. When you go anywhere, tell them Stu sent you. I really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, that's that's the, a review of that right there. It was real good. And um, now let's take a little musical interlude and I'll come back with some more reviews and then we'll say our sad goodbyes. All right, folks, I'll be back in a minute. All right, everybody, this is Stu Helm, still here at Food Fan Headquarters. Let's wrap the show up with a couple of more reviews of some sort of extended meals that I had. First of all, Don and I went to the South Slope with our friend Millie. We went to Mother Bakery, the new location on the South Slope, right on Short Cox Avenue. And yes, if you're listening to this from outside of Asheville, we have a street in Asheville called Cox Avenue and another one called Short Cox Avenue. 
That's just the way we do. Um, so anyways, Mother Bakery up there on Shortcocks. Excellent, excellent food. We got some mushroom toast. It was fantastic. So at this point, we've had the sweet toast and the savory toast. They have other flavors. We've gotten blueberry for sweet, and we've gotten mushroom toast for the savory. Both were excellent, and we had some salads. Each time we had salad, we've been to Mother twice now, and both times the salad was great. And this time, I was the person pushing to get a salad. Don and our friend Millie were like, I don't know if we want salad. We're going to go to a couple other places. And I was like, no, they have good salads here. Let's get one. And we did. And it was great. So high recommendations for Mother Bakery on the South Slope. Do not buy all of the Castle Vertrano uh, focaccia loaf if I'm behind you in line or I will have a nervous breakdown. And anybody who was at the original Mother the time that that almost happened will know what I'm talking about. I, I have terrible, terrible FOMO when it comes to food. And I wanted that last loaf and somebody almost got it. It was a dicey moment in my life, folks. Anyways, Mother Bakery. Next, we walked up to Cultura Restaurant, a fantastic restaurant, one of the best in Asheville. Go to Cultura, eat food, eat everything on the menu, do the chef's tasting table. It's phenomenal. Do the special seated dinners. I think they're called Cultivated, the Cultivated Dinners series. And a lot of different chefs from around town being highlighted, a lot of cultures from around the world being highlighted, a lot of local food and produce, meats and stuff, all gotten locally. And Chef Eric Morris, one of the best chefs in the country, in my opinion, and also a really nice guy, like a friend of mine and a super nice guy. And anybody from Asheville or who has visited Asheville a while back who remembers the Night Bell, Chef Katie Button's Night Bell restaurant, Chef Eric Morris was the chef de cuisine. I, I believe that was his title at the Night Bell. And so a lot of that menu reflected his culinary uh, tastes. And so go to Cultura. We had uh, just a, a smattering of dishes, everything from crab like a crab thing that was delicious to um a little bunch of canapes that included caviar and beef tartare and we had some we had like a lamb taco that was really really good some duck that was really good uh really beautiful piece of halibut i believe it was in a coconut broth um and i feel like i'm leaving one out but uh the food Excellent. The atmosphere, great. The music was really nice. Everything 100% spot on at Cultura. So get on in if you can. They're only open like Thursday through Sunday, I believe. So the hours are a little bit limited and only open for dinner. Uh, next, uh, and, and and that was our little South Slope adventure. But next on my own, I want to talk about the ribs at La Bodega. Speaking of Chef Katie Button, La Bodega by Karate is her other restaurant, Karate being her famous restaurant. She is a James Beard Award-winning chef, one of our two, along with Chef Mirwan Irani from uh, Chaipani Indian Street Food Restaurant. And yes, Kara Irani and Chef Mirwan Irani are related through marriage, as far as I know. Uh, I, I, never, I never want to guess... And I don't think I'm guessing. I think that is the actual case. They're related through marriage. Anyways, 
Um, so yeah, Chef Katie Button's La Bodega, they have some ribs on the menu called the Costillo ribs, and they are fantastically delicious. They are sweet and sticky. They're pork ribs. They're cooked to the point where the meat just falls right off the bone. They come with some peppers on them, some red peppers and some green peppers, and not bell peppers, like nice peppers. And um, the red ones are, I'm not sure how they cook them. They confit them or something, but they're cooked to death and they're just soft and like almost like a paste by the time they're done being cooked. And I find them to be mild, although slightly spicy. And then the green peppers, one of them was kind of roasted and that one was, I think, a form of a jalapeno or something like that. And it was quite delicious. And then there were some pickled peppers up there and they were the hottest and they were delicious too. The whole thing, I've had these ribs on two different occasions. I'm recommending them wholeheartedly. And they are right now my first early contender to be my 2023 ribs of the year winner for when I do my Stubby Awards in January of 2024. Um, and so go to Cultura. Or I'm sorry, yes, go to Cultura and go to La Bodega by Curate, where Nightbell used to be, just coincidentally talking about these two places in the same week. And then my friend, finally, last thing I'll review, my friend David and I went to Little D's out on Merriman Avenue, and we had a wonderful meal of grilled shrimp, a bistro steak, some duck breast with a very beautiful crispy skin, and um, some ribs, some more ribs, and everything was great at Little D's. It's my first time there. The atmosphere was great. The service was great. The food was just cooked perfectly, had a lot of flavor. Again, the ribs came right off the bone, and they were sort of a sticky treatment, but not as sticky as the ones at um, La Bodega. And the the bistro steak was cooked just perfectly, and everything came with little accoutrement on the plate like taters and uh kale and whatnot there were other things on the plate and everything was great and david and i really enjoyed it so there you go some quick reviews of some bigger meals i had uh thanks for listening and please tune in in the following weeks i've got some exciting interviews coming up including a chef from a quail farm in ontario some people in ontario canada sent me some quail eggs asked me if i wanted to interview this chef I ain't going to say no to either of those things. I've been eating quail eggs for about a week and a half now. They're great. I love them. So I can't wait to talk to this uh, chef that represents the quail farm. And I just want to say thanks to Kara for coming on, being interviewed. Thanks for listening to everyone who listened. And thanks to WPVM 103.7, The Voice of Asheville, broadcasting to the world for taking my humble podcast and turning it into a radio broadcast. I think that's pretty cool. And if you go out there and you eat something good, y'all, please be sure to look me up on social media, Stu Helm Food Fan on Facebook, Instagram, and Substack. Let me know the best thing you ate in the recent days. In other words, if you eat something good, let me know about it. Bye. Bye.